Hello everyone, welcome to the Preacher Dad Podcast. I am the Preacher Dad and I blog at PreacherDad.com. You can find out more information about me, about the things that uh, are important to me, the things that I'm trying to do in the world, uh, the things that I'm promoting. We can engage in discussion and topics of different various various subjects there at PreacherDad.com. I encourage you to go there and check us out. All right, well, I'm here. I'm on my way home today, and I was thinking, what, what episode would I want to bring to all of you, my podcast listeners? And if you listen to this podcast, then, you know, there's a good chance, at least right now, <laughs> that you probably agree with me. At this stage of the game, I'm sure a lot of you agree with me. Maybe some of you don't. But, um, you know, I, I like to talk about everything from parenting to politics to preparation. And I thought today I would focus a little bit on preparation. And, you know, why do I consider myself a prepper? Um, and that, that word prepper has sort of a negative connotation in our society, but you know, the Bible says, a prudent man seeth the danger and turneth himself. So I like to think of myself as being prudent and being careful and being prepared for dangers so that I can care for my family. All of us do it to one degree or another. If you are a, uh, if you believe in the Second Amendment and you carry a weapon and you go in public, then you are a prepper because you are prepared for a possible danger scenario. If you put a lock on your door, you're a prepper because you are preparing for a dangerous scenario. If you lock your car before you go into a store, then you're a prepper because you're preparing for a possible danger, for a possible damage to things that you have been entrusted with. So, why am I a prepper? Why do I prepare? Well, you know, we, we need to look ahead. We need to look at the world around us and understand the times. We need to be aware of the world around us and what is involved there. And um, I take a look around at the world and, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't say that I'm a kooky prepper because <laughs> there are some. Because they look around at the world and they become fearful. And they, some people, I won't, I won't say everyone, but some people do exaggerate the danger. There's not an, a large danger that you're going to walk out of your house and be struck by lightning. That is a very low probability. So there's no need for you to walk out of your house with, you know, lightning preparation tools. Uh, some people, they look at the world and they see things that are, they imagine will happen that are, are really unreasonable. However, discernment and wisdom involves looking at the world around us and determining or, or deciding or discerning what is a probable danger and what is not. What is likely to happen? Is it very likely that your house will be broken into? Well, not really, but it's somewhat reasonable, especially depending on 
what part of town you live in or if you live in a town at all. So maybe you want to put a lock on your door. Is it likely that your belongings will get stolen out of your car if you go into a store? Again, it depends a little bit on where you live. It depends a little bit on what kind of car you drive. I guarantee you some of the old jalopies that I've driven don't generally get poked into for their uh, belongings. Uh, <laughs> but is that a reasonable chance? And if it is, you're wise to lock your door before you go in the building. So there's a little bit of a line here between nutcase <laughs> and wisdom. <laughs> the nutcase imagines things that are unreasonable and the wise person, the prudent man or woman, sees things that are reasonable dangers and takes appropriate precautions. So I look at the world around me and I see a situation where our society is a consuming society. We consume things around us much more than we produce. We go to the store and we purchase our milk and our eggs and our cereal and our bread and our cheese and our meat. We purchase those things. We consume them. We didn't produce them. We're a consuming society. We pay the producers, but the producers are a much smaller number than the consumers. So I look at that and I look how dependent our society is on technology. Even this very podcast has the potential to go kaput if technology becomes either harder to find or harder to use. Uh, so many things are dependent upon technology, upon electricity. And even the United States government has admitted how vulnerable we are not that I trust the government on everything, but there are some things that they do have their head screwed on almost straight about. They have admitted how vulnerable we are to an electromagnetic pulse. If you don't know what that is, it's a uh, pulse of energy that's emitted that fries electrical circuits within its blast radius. Every nuclear explosion produces an electromagnetic pulse, but there's also weapons such as magnetic pulse emitters that just produce the pulse. But a large enough electromagnetic pulse set off at the right point, and it's not a small point either, it's just, you know, a few hundred feet in the air, I think it's 300 feet in the air, will produce an EMP blast radius of several hundred square miles. So if you, if you detonate uh, uh, a nuclear device at the right point in our electrical grid, you would shut down electricity for most of the country for any, well, a huge portion wherever that one EMP was set off. You don't have to be in the blast radius. If, you, if the blast radius is over certain transformers and certain circuitry, you're not going to get electricity until those circuits are repaired. So the guys fixing that electrical circuitry, the electrical grid it's called, the transformers and the power lines and all those things, they got to be repaired. That's going to take some time. In the meantime, 
hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people are without electricity. Now, when I say it's going to take some time, it, it, it could take months. It could reasonably take months to restore the electrical grid, depending on where that nuclear device was set off. Now, imagine a scenario where even if it took one month, just a, a couple of weeks, to get the electrical grid repaired so that people could get electricity. But how would you survive for one month without electricity? Let's not imagine a worst case scenario. Let's not imagine, you know, we're thrown back to third world uh, situations or uh, all of a sudden we're in medieval times. Those, there are scenarios that, 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 we, that leads to that. But let's just put that on the shelf for a second. Could you survive for one month without electricity? Now, I would say that most people in America could not survive for an entire month without electricity. Because after a week without electricity, they would clear the shelves of every bit of food possible to find. And after two weeks without electricity, they would have probably eaten most of the food in their home. They would not be able to charge their phone or, or use their computer or their television. And so there, there wouldn't be anything to do but go to work. But wait a minute, you can't go to work because the computer system's down. You can't use any electricity at work. All of your electrical products. Me personally, I'm in the restaurant business, at least for right now, and we would have to be closed because there would be no electricity to run our machines. We could try to get a generator, but if we were in the blast radius of the EMP, that generator would not function. So a lot of people would not be prepared to live for a month without electricity. What, they would, what would they do? By week three or week four, they would begin to do desperate things. They might travel some distance to find, like, refugees. So now we got refugees moving into other states and other parts of the country trying to find food and water. Now, what happens if there's more than one EMP? If we produce two or three or four of those nuclear explosions or an EMP device is used in a strategic place on the electrical grid, that's when you get to a worst case scenario of several months or even years before electricity is restored. And our entire society would eat itself, <laughs> would consume itself before that happened. There's a very real danger of that occurring and taking place. Therefore, <clears throat> it is wise to be prepared to live without electricity. How would you do that? So that's basically what I think of I think of scenarios like that where it would be very hard to, well, I mean, how would I live if I did not have electricity? For a lot of people, they would have a very hard time uh, finding food and water eventually. And uh, so I've tried to take precautions, <coughs> excuse me,
I've tried to take precautions whereby I can uh, uh, acquire food and water if there's no electricity. You, you know, um, tried to think through, well, how would I filter my water? Where would I get my water from? How much food would we need to have on hand to get by? Um, you know, and uh, we've started think, trying to think through a garden and using um, the resources that we have available to us to produce our own food so that instead of consuming things so much, we would actually start producing some of them. Maybe we would raise our own chickens. We can eat chickens. Chickens also produce eggs for a time. We would produce our own fruits and vegetables, Lord willing. We would, um, you know, try to just try to think through how would I survive without a uh, without electricity. All right. Well, I'm I'm back. I had to pause the recording because I just arrived home. And, uh, you know, my kiddos are more important to me, so I had to stop the recording and talk to them. I'm here with my four-year-old girl, Lucy Ray, and uh, I, I wonder, Lucy, um, would you like to say something to the people on the podcast? Well, I do have a present for my, for my daddy, but so I had, I couldn't go in. But some of it was good. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Okay. That was a, a present, you said? Yeah. Oh, great. Well, I, I like presents. Oh, and there's Sammy Kate. She's two. Can you say hi? Hi. <laughs> good job. So I was just saying that, you know, that is the reason that I try to prepare for danger. I think some of my extended family sometimes thinks I'm a little nuts, but I have been slowly helping to uh, maybe convince them that some of the things that I think are um, are feasible or reasonable. And uh, you know, it's just it's just wise to really think through. Okay, if I don't have electricity, what would I do? And so for our family, that involves. Um, filtering water it involves a heat source because we live in an area of the country that um, in the winter it can get chilly so we need to be able to have heat um, we need a way to cook our food if we can't start the oven <clears throat> we need um, or at least maybe we need to boil the water to be able to cook our food so how would we do that well we we're trying to create a store of firewood and maybe create um, a cinder block oven uh, and uh, that's that's uh, a couple of things that we're doing you know we're using our chickens to help fertilize our garden and make it grow better okay you guys be, you gotta be quiet um, we are trying to um what are the other things we're doing? <laughs> I'm losing my train of thought a little bit, but I wanted to bring up another reason for why we would be 
doing preparation. Hey, why don't you guys get down and go play and I'll be right out. Um, there's a book that I'm in the process of reading and it's called How to Survive the End of the World as We Know It. It's by James Wesley Rawls. And it's quite a good book recommended by a friend of mine. And in that book, uh, Rawls discusses the reason that we would want to be prepping, that we would want to prepare food and water and be able to um, provide for people around us. Um, the reason is not so that I can survive. The ultimate reason is so that I have enough to give away. I need to survive so that I can give food and water to people in need so that I am able to minister to others. And that's really, I think, why I like that book so much is because he is gospel-centered in his thinking. He's not thinking, you know, oh, end of the world and, you know, apocalypse movie and, oh, how cool it would be to, you know, survive end of the world as we know it. Uh, we call it the zombie apocalypse. How to survive the zombie apocalypse. Oh, so cool. <clears throat> no, he's, he's thinking through, look, if this were to happen, there would be people in need. How can I minister to them? Well, I've got to take care of myself and my family first so that we can live, we can survive, we can make it. And then, so that we're not refugees, and then we're able to provide for the needs of friends or family or neighbors or people that need help. So that is the purpose behind it. We want to advance the truth. And in as believers, I'm a believer, and I hope you are, if we are believers, the goal of being prepared for a worst-case scenario is not so that only just for survival— the purpose is for advancing the gospel. It's for ministering to the needs of the physical needs of a person so that they're more willing to listen to the spiritual truth that you have to share with them. We have the answer to the spiritual need, the deep heart need of the world, of people. We have life and hope to offer to them. And they're much more able to hear that message when they have food and water when they are actually able to survive. So that's the purpose. That's the point. Um, I, I believe that it's a reasonable scenario that there could be, you know, hard times ahead. And I think it's wise to be able to produce as much of your necessities as you can yourself. And uh, I would recommend that book, How to Survive the End of the World as We Know It by James Wesley Rawls, because he addresses multiple things and, uh, does it from a Christian point of view. So I appreciate what he has to say, and that's a major reason that I try to do preparation. I try to be prepared. All right. Well, folks, that's about it for today. I'm going to need to get out there and give those little girls some lovings. So I hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful evening and that God blesses you and that uh, you continue to advance the gospel and proclaim his truth no matter how difficult or challenging the world may be around us that is the point god bless you bye-bye